Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and calling in from the road, my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, where are you right now in the world? I'm in Portland, Oregon, on the West Coast right now. Ooh, uh, the home of the Trailblazers. Home of the Trailblazers, home of the show Portlandia. So everywhere I go, I just imagine like I'm on that show. I do like that show. Yeah, but uh, I think they're going good. You know, we started a tour about 10 days ago, uh, 12 days ago in D.C., which had been the day before inauguration. So we were like in the nation's capital while, you know, uh, the Trump era was about to begin. And uh, it was really fascinating. We ended up going to, after our set, went downtown to the 930 Club, which is a legendary venue right in the middle of the heart of D.C., and um, the National and Common were playing a Planned Parenthood benefit. So it was actually really uh, exciting and encouraging to be around people, you know, sort of like-minded people that are, I think, fighting the good fight. Well, I wonder, you know, you have a unique perspective because uh, obviously we're all watching these last 10 days, which have been unique uh, and pretty unprecedented in a lot of ways. But you're obviously Canadian traveling in America through all these major cities, but you're on the road most of it. I mean, are you guys paying attention? Are you sort of trying to focus on what you're doing? Are you feeling it around you? What's your perspective? We're definitely feeling it. You know, I think probably in a similar way that you guys are in that, like, you know, it's totally unprecedented. It seems like every two hours the news offers us something that, you know, you would never be able to believe if this was, you know, two weeks, two weeks ago. And, um, as a result, our sets are a little bit more punk rock. Like we've been playing a little bit more, uh, like of our political songs, like fake money and hung up, uh, private school we've been dedicating private school to betty devos and she's uh she's she's a pretty unlikable uh character given that she's like never had any relationship with the public school system whatsoever and now she's running the whole damn thing uh so people are pretty fired up at the shows because i don't know they're looking for an outlet uh you know because everybody's at home all day just consuming the news and i think a lot of people are coming to the shows like getting really fired up and just want to have some kind of outlet. <laughs> and so it's actually been it's a pretty awesome experience so far. It's been one of the most memorable tours for sure. Is your stage banter, has it changed? Are you being political on stage? I mean, more so than the song choices, obviously, I guess I'm asking like in between when you're, when you're talking, are you specifically talking about these things? Yeah. Yeah. We have a song hung up on our new record and the line is who made you the president. We've changed it to who made him the president. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I've been talking about, Sort of the power of you know collective action and how encouraging it is to see people wake up every day with a new kind of to-do list, which is like stand up for human rights, <laughs> and how powerful the, the marches uh, across North America were, the women's marches, and uh, you know how we have to kind of keep that momentum alive. So I, yeah, I really have been digging in, and uh, and I think it's. Uh, it's definitely energizing me. And I think the way it's energizing a lot of people, uh, because I think most people are, uh, I think the majority of people are pretty upset about what's going on. Even if they voted for Trump, I think a lot of people are, are quite happy with what's, uh, what's developed in the last, uh, 10 days. So Max, um, aside from all that, this is actually a pretty big show because, uh, we talked to Matthew and Nathan from Kings of Leon. Yeah, it was, it was so exciting. I was nervous. 
as I said, I was there for uh, for that interview. Hopefully, you cut off the top of it where I was like stammering and I couldn't even like put together a sentence. <laughs> you know, can you get rid of that, please? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we can talk more. We can set up the interview in a bit. Is there anything else going on with you? I just want to let the people know that there is a Kings of Leon interview coming soon, where they say lots of interesting things. Um, yeah. What's going on? You know, I, I'd say this. Um, the best part about this tour is that we're in all these awesome major markets and we're seeing friends along the way. So uh, Jonah Carey, who's an amazing sports writer, we saw him in Denver. He yeah. did the show in L.A. Tim McAuliffe and Matt Unsworth. Uh, oh, you met up with them again? Christina. They they all bought tickets to the show. It was wild. Really? Um, yeah, and then I went out and partied with them afterwards. We went to a bar <laughs> in Silver Lake, and it was awesome. And then also, I met Bishop Briggs for the first time. She and her sister came to the show, and we talked about the interview with you and how much she loved you and how it was like her favorite interview she's ever done. Like literally she was, she was saying like, you know, the way you sort of like you, you, she said you got things out of her that she, you know, had never really talked about in other interviews. Oh, so, wow. You. Yeah. Man, that's she was lovely. She was great. I well, it's You've just I literally mentioned three people that have appeared on this pod. Tim McAuliffe, I think maybe episode three, go back and listen. Yeah. Amazing writer for uh, last man on earth. Uh, Matt Unsworth works for FX down in the States or Amazon. Now he came on and just, he's a friend of the pod, been a friend for years. And then Bishop Briggs, uh, that's crazy that you ran into her and, uh, she's, I'm, that's, kind of her to say all those nice things. She was great. And then also in uh, San Francisco, there's a friend of ours who you've never met, but um, I know him through sort of the South by Southwest music community. His name's Michael Mayer. He's a really awesome guy. And we have a shared love of podcast. And he's recommended to me some of my favorite podcasts, a lot of stuff on the Slate, uh, like Slate Gap Fest and The Gist. Anyway, he listens to Michael Much Podcast every week, and, and he, it's like one of his favorite podcasts, which, which I was totally wow. you know, thrilled to hear because he's got, he's got good taste. And he was talking <laughs> about the, the Strut interview, and he said, oh, that was really interesting, but I thought Veerman, he calls you Veerman, by the way, oh, Veerman was pretty hard on Luke. You know, he was asking some tough questions. I was like, yeah, I didn't think it was that hard on him. He was like, oh, they're getting in all the drug stuff, relationships. <laughs> I was like, I just make some good interviews. Like, I thought he was pretty tough on him. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Wait a second, though. How did you I, how did you run into Bishop Briggs? I um, I messaged her. <laughs> I, uh, just like, uh, how, but because, like, uh, how did you know she was in the same city as you? Well, she well, I figured she lives in L.A. and we were playing in L.A. Oh, so, uh, and, and we share the same Madeline who works at Universal Music. She's our product manager. She's Bishop's product manager too. So, and I, and I really like Bishop Briggs, and we're doing a bunch of festivals together. This summer we're doing, like, Coachella and Shaky Knees, I think a couple others. And I was like, I should just say hello, because we have this connection through the podcast and a connection through Universal Music, and we're doing these festivals together. And, um, you know, the one thing I thought was really cool was, some, like, in my head, because I didn't meet her during the podcast, and I heard nice things about her, I, had, I kind of assumed, like, ah, you know, she doesn't want to hear from some random band dude inviting her out to a show like she probably has better things to do who the hell am I to like be putting my like putting myself out there and just sort of asking somebody to like come see our set but uh she and her sister were like so thrilled to have been asked and like said the nicest things about our set at the Wiltern in LA and like we're so happy to hang out and it's just kind of a good reminder that like you know it's easy to be pessimistic <laughs> but if you Put yourself out there, and, and you're, you know, you can make uh, great, you know, friendships happen, and you can uh, make new relationships that you, you know, might have not imagined. So it was, it was really, a, you know, a, t- a telling thing for me. It's, it doesn't hurt to, to ask and to put yourself out there. 
That's great, man. Mikey, give me uh, give me your take. What, what, what do you make of the news? What have you been What have you been doing with yourself the last uh, last two weeks? Uh, you know, it's been <laughs> it's been draining. I mean, man, it's such a confluence of emotions. In that, I fear I'm becoming addicted to reading about every development that happens with this Trump administration. I'm getting into the weeds and everything. And in some ways, I think a lot of people are like, well, this is good. You know, we got to, to use the phrase, stay woke. And it's like, I'm getting, I'm like, I'm getting into it because obviously it's compelling. And I really feel like we're living through history. We're living through a time that we're going to look back on and be like, oh, that's when it all changed from the way it had sort of been for 50 years. You know, it was like after World mm-hmm. War II, the world settled into sort of a certain order and there's been some things along the way obviously but it feels like we're at this new point where none of us know what is going to happen going forward and everything that happens all of these sort of details and him you know letting the attorney general go last night or yesterday i'm not sure you know all of these developments that just happen and like you said they're coming at a rapid pace now where you're like every time you look at twitter something else has happened where you get this weird rush where you're you're outraged and you're going i can't believe it but it's like shit i just said that two hours ago and you know (laughs) when's it going to end but then also kind of the fear of what's going to happen going forward you know it's like you're swallowed up by empathy for people are being turned away at the airport people that have already gone through maybe like a 15 month vetting system and it's like they're being turned back and put on planes you can't help but feel um something or at least i can't and i know there's a lot of people out there that take the other side and you know are buying this bullshit about safety first even though there is already a like a pretty intense vetting system in place and i'm starting to ramble now but anyway long story long max is one thing i do not do is i don't post political things on my facebook in fact i don't really share opinions on my facebook because facebook's become this place where it's like if you say something even mildly if you have an opinion about anything you know, somebody's going to say something to try and engage you in an argument or a debate. And sometimes I just don't want to debate. Facebook isn't about a debate for me. Maybe I just want to share a thought, you know? And anyway, I was watching all of this stuff on Saturday unfold, um, with his Muslim ban, we'll call it. So I just, I just wrote something along the lines of like, you know, empathy, it's the lifeblood of coexisting because it's like, how can we coexist with each other? If we can't try to understand where, you know, we're all coming from. I love that. I love when you posted that. So I ended up posting it to the mic on much Twitter. I posted it to my Facebook. I don't know. I just I had a moment of like feeling like I just kind of want to put this out there cause I'm thinking it. And it wasn't some grand political statement. I didn't really get really into it. And then of course, <laughs> within like 40 minutes, there's already a bloody debate on my Facebook (laughs) of like, you know, somebody was like, uh, I find this hilarious. You know, there's people walking by homeless in the streets, kicking animals to the curb and don't do anything but their own backyard. And then the meat, the mass media tells you to get all upset about what's going on, you know, and I read it and I just thought, I thought, you know, it just makes me think like, it's like, okay, so this is either a shot, you know, at me where it's like, oh, you don't care about anything until the media tells you to, to think this like sheep, basically. I would have said if I was going to engage in the debate is I'm like, or is this like one of the most unique and troubling and frightening times sort of in modern history, especially like certainly in our lifetimes. And, you know, people are like, look at history. This stuff happens all the time. And it's like, yeah, but man, like 
we haven't lived through this kind of thing and we don't know what's going to happen. And like, when you talk about this stuff happening through history, lots of people end up dying. You know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) shit all falls apart and then you rebuild. It's like, maybe we can avoid shit falling apart if we make a stand now. So we don't have to rebuild. So, you know, dramatically or with a ton of loss of life. Anyway, I didn't engage, but, uh, the thing that I thought would happen happened. And, uh, yeah, so I just shook my head and I'm like, I'm not engaging. drives me crazy is that it's like people just automatically just like look for like any little hole in a statement or try to be a contrarian and just like try to get into it and i wish people would just like try to see like whatever what anybody says like try to see what you maybe agree with and start there you know because it's like that might be a more productive uh you know place to start especially in the spirit of having to coexist, which is what we all need to do. What I said wasn't even controversial in the first place. It, like, it was a relatively like benign, apolitical statement. The last thought that I sort of have about this Trump Muslim ban is essentially, it's like, you got to make a choice. And I get, you know, people are like, no, we're scared. And all of you bleeding heart liberals won't have these thoughts. If like your place gets blown up or you get attacked by, you know, an extremist or, you know, somebody bursts into a bar that you're drinking at and shoots up you and 10 of your friends, all of that stuff. Now, like one, I go, okay, well, what are the odds of that happening? And then the second part of me is like, well, to live in a society that has certain values and ideals, that's the risk you take. You have to trust your processes. You have to go, well, we do have vetting. And is it flawless? Absolutely not. Do people become radicalized? Absolutely. But it's not just Muslims. Like, obviously what happened in Quebec was terrible, but that guy, you know, that like that was like an angry white guy, just like what happened in um, Charleston. Yeah. All right. For a moment, enough of the depressing stuff. Let's get to the Kings of Leon. We talked Rock to roll. yeah to Nathan and Matthew from Kings of Leon. This was uh, really exciting. I mean, th- these guys are huge. Yeah, they're like the, probably the biggest contemporary rock band. So we get a call from our main man Greg Stewart, and he's basically like, "This is something that might happen because Greg has been such a champion for us with all the publicists and anybody that the gatekeepers that make these things happen." At this point, things like Kirk Hammett from Metallica, and then an opportunity to go and talk to Kings of Leon. It's like, I feel like without his championing of us, we don't have a shot. So, so grateful to him to get us into these rooms. And Maxi Boy, like you said, these days, it's just me and a recorder going into these things. But you happen to be in town. It was like maybe a couple days before you left for this tour. And you're like, I'm coming to this one. (laughs) I was trying to do some networking, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind. Hey, you know, we all get something out of the pod. Sure. No, it was, it was, I was so happy to be there. It was, it was cool. I know, I loved it. Let's, let's, let's get to it, man. You just want to get to it? Don't even set it up. Let the people listen to uh, Matthew and Nathan Kings of Leon. Let them listen. Let's give the people what they want. <laughs> I saw uh, you went to the Raps game last night. Yes. Yes, I was also at the game. Oh, nice. You a big basketball fan? Huge basketball fan. Oklahoma City Thunder fan? or Oklahoma City Thunder. What were your thoughts on Durant leaving? Uh... He played college ball at Texas. I'm an Okie. <laughs> Good riddance. Nah, he was, he's a great ball. Like, uh, of course, we wish he would have stayed. Um, that would have been good for the team. But, uh, but, oh, well, we'll we'll move on. Westbrook's having a pretty good year this year. Yeah, he's like averaging a triple-double. Yeah. Which is pretty so. insane. Matthew, are you a fan of sports or basketball? Um, I used to kind of follow the Thunder. I definitely don't. Uh, no sports for me, really. Right. He's the only one that'll... Like go like to it's a waste like of I could call him and be like, "Hey, I'm taking a tour bus to Oklahoma City to watch a game, like a playoff game." He'll be like, "Yeah, I'll go." Or if they play, they play in Memphis like four times a year, so we'll make the trip down to Memphis every now and then. Um, yeah, 
But yeah, that game last night, that was a beat blowout. God, yeah, we dog. smoked them. The team's really good. I'm like, we're both long-suffering Raptors fans, so it's nice to have a good team to root for for yeah. once. Did you did you end up going into uh, Drake's club, Share Club? No, I did not. Oh. Um, our friends went in because we left early because the um, the NFL. We wanted to see the, the Dallas uh, game, the Packers, uh, Cowboys yeah. game. Insane. So that was, I can say, I won all four of my bets yesterday. Hey. Yay, guys. Sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the worst podcast ever. Um, no, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, I just wanted to get into, I guess, making a new record. Because, you know, I think, you know, a lot of bands don't get to know what it's like to be as big as you guys and, and, and successful as you guys. When you're making a new record, it's always kind of a hard balancing act where you want to sort of, you know, stay in the world where the type of songs you've been doing before, but then also do something new. When you approach a record, how cognizant are you of that? I mean, it's nice to not, to try and not think about those things. Um, because then yeah, you may push yourself in like a direction, you know? Um, but yeah, we, I mean, yeah, we have, we kind of have to think about those things, you know, like now we think about, we have to think about the live show and like, even though it doesn't really change the music though, we, th we think about those things, but we just think like, oh, that's going to be cool when we do that live, you know, it doesn't really like, we don't think like, oh, we should do a breakdown right here. Cause it's going to be really great when the lights come down or whatever. Um, like, yeah, do you, do you get to the point where it's like, oh, we need another slow song for the record or we need something more anthemic. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm we're sure. very aware of yeah. Like, we know that's you, six you, in a row that are, you know, kind of three minute barn burners. You're going to need to give the audience a chance to catch their <laughs> totally. breath, even on a record, the same way during a show. You know, you don't right. get up there and play a and you kind of know Sex that like, set all the way through. Like they're going to want a little Kenny G every now and then <laughs> in there. You kind of know that historically too that like all the great albums kind of do that. You know, up and down, have a, a few slow songs and a few up tempo, a few mid tempo. So. We usually have like 15 songs and we kind of just, they get narrowed down. Oh, we don't like this one. I like, we like this one. And then, yeah, it is what it is. But we have had songs that did not make a record because it just didn't fill a spot. There were two other songs on the record, for instance, that sounded similar to it. Mm -hmm. But we had one record that I think we, it was on the cutting room floor on record two and it made it onto record number six. Oh, really? So it came so back. So we'll up. have so we'll have songs like that. That it's not that it's a bad song. Like we never, if a song doesn't make a record, we never view that as like, oh, that song's not good enough to make a Kings of Leon record. No, it's just not. It's just not good enough for that Kings that particular time, that particular record. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it's like banished to, you know, B Sideville for the rest of its life. Like we can, we'll always kind of bring things around, and it might be we'll still a guitar riff from a song that didn't make record number one, but we're like, oh, that really fits awesome with this one. So well, like over, we try to recycle, like, we try to recycle our In like our 2010, music. I was playing the line from over, but I never really played it for these guys. I would just play it at home a lot. And like I had a little setup at home and I recorded it. And then I, I just don't know where it came from. Like one day I was just like, oh, I got this one like from a long time ago, maybe like, really cool. <laughs> and I always thought that they would be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't like it or whatever. But then I played it and it was like immediately everyone on their instruments. And I was like, jumped on it within like, 10 minutes, it was like almost completely what you hear now. So, well, speaking of that, like you're talking about bringing a rift, how does the songwriting work? What's the structure like? Is it you guys like write with somebody, the four of you get into a room? It's we just, just, we got to jam. Just the four of us, we'll just, yeah, jam. I mean, a song can come from a drum beat and yep. we'll write around that, a guitar riff. Jared will have a bass line, something. Um, lyrics, Caleb usually does a majority of the lyrics, but I would say this record was the most 
that everyone had a say so in lyrics as well. Wow. I would say this was the most put together record we've ever made as far as everyone there, uh, contributing. There, there's a few songs I had like I had I, I knew well, at least I I thought I knew what the chorus would be and like I know what the verse is going to be and how the intro would maybe go and I would bring those I mean they would kind of change a lot but I would have no vocal melodies and stuff uh, and no like drum parts or anything it would just be guitar parts. When it comes to sort of the dynamic of the group and like all four of you, who would you say sort of has the most, I guess this, cause you know, whenever I think about doing anything collaboratively, like in a creative sort of environment, you're going to sort of have more dominant personality. Maybe those ideas get pushed through. Is there one person in the group or a faction of the group that basically sort of leads the charge or maybe has final say, or is it like a four person democracy? I felt like I'd, I felt like I maybe was leading the charge this time, but I don't I didn't have like a final say. There was no like final say. I just felt super inspired this time. And so I felt like I was playing guitar a lot. So I'd come in like really excited and be like, oh man, you should do this, you know? Yeah, totally. And on it, totally everyone started to just, yeah, started to catch on. And before you know it, we're all like, yeah. Rocking, Nathan, trying. did you feel that from Matthew? Like, did you feel his enthusiasm? He got really annoyed with me. Um, <laughs> no, Matthew was definitely, he definitely showed up to work on this record for sure. <laughs> We would all be leaving the studio at night and the producer would be looking at us like with the saddest eyes of like, it's not true. And Matt would come walking in with a <laughs> guitar. I told him to look like that. I was like, give them that look when they leave. So it's like, <laughs> Matt would come walking in and the producer would look at us like, please don't leave me. Please, please don't leave me. It's not true. We got to go. But for he, a drummer, that's the first thing that gets recorded. Yeah. Then you just So it's right. like, so you nail it right out of the gate, you know, take one or take two. And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, oh shit. Now I got to sit around for the next 12 hours, literally doing nothing but listening to guitar parts so lucky with records you know it's always interesting i think chris martin said like when he looks back on x and y you know he's like maybe it wasn't our best work and it's it sort of changes opinion on it but i don't think any band makes a record and thinks oh this is we're not we're not putting out our best foot forward do you guys find like retrospectively when you look back at your past work that maybe critics or fans have shaped the way you look back on a record i see what you mean um Maybe, I don't know. I don't Maybe think so. Bit. I mean, well, no, when people say, uh, you know, every time to me, like, oh, Shakes, great, man. Like, love that. Whenever I was like, a kid like that was my album and stuff like that i'm like okay and maybe it does change and i'll go back and listen and think like is this cool like was this our best work you know so maybe it does kind of shape the way i think of things that i'm really not not positive but i don't i don't think we've ever been a band to go into a record chasing our version of what we think is success for that record whether it be awards, whether it be record sales, whether it be obviously you want to make the best record possible that'll reach the the biggest audience, but like the record that had like Use Somebody and Sex on Fire, we never in a million years listened to that and thought, oh yeah, Grammys, Junos, <laughs> like full on tons of records. So like when it's happening, it just doesn't, it's not that way. Like you can, your manager's supposed to tell you that's the best record you've ever made. You know, everyone around you, your crew, everyone there, they're like, oh, yeah, man, this shit is like <laughs> next level. But you never really know if that if that's true or not. So we've never really been a band to like put pressure on ourselves from for about what anybody else thinks, because being a family band, it's enough pressure to. You want your brothers and cousin to like what you do. Yeah. You want them to be proud of the part you're playing and. You know, we can be brutally honest with each other and be like, dude, not happening on this one. Like, and then other times it's like, great job, man. You really surprised us. So 
with those dynamics, you know, like you said, because you are such a familial band, you know, there's been stuff made in the past of, you know, you guys having infighting, there's going to be natural fighting. How have you guys evolved sort of over the years and, and become a better sort of working unit? Is it different? Have you taken steps to sort of, I guess my question would be like, do those fights still happen? No. no, not really. I feel like you fight when you're young and then you, and then you grow up. I don't know. There was a lot of fights when we were younger and now like the, the situations that used to cause the fights just don't, I don't know. They just don't happen anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't, we'd rather watch our kids fight for sure. each other and they do than, uh, than I think Adrian with pulled each other. hair yesterday. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I want to know was a lot of sort of rock dudes can fall one way or the other on modern music where they're like, Oh, there's not enough bands playing guitar. You know, there's not enough sort of rock music anymore. It's all gone in a different direction. And there's other guys that are like, Hey, I, I dig it. There's a place for everything. Where do you guys fall on that spectrum? I definitely dig it. It's like, whatever. I don't know. I'm not like, just like oh, guitar nothing. Like I love synthesizers and you know, it doesn't, I just like music. It, I don't, I'm where I stand. It's just, if it's a great song and it's super cool, you know? I like it. Yeah. I listen to Henry Mancini, like stuff like that. Like I rarely sure listen to, did all the Pink Panther music and the oh, party. Cool. And, um, I, mean, I definitely enjoy if I'm in the right mood, like some cool guitars or whatever, but it doesn't have to be, have to be that really. But I think you're not like oh, that, that old guy, got these young kids and their computers. It doesn't no. sound like you guys are. No, definitely not. <laughs> I try that in amongst the the rock and rollers, and I, and yeah, I feel like it's important for us to try and keep up or whatever. So if if I, if I see that like that's kind of what's cool, kind of changes my opinion a little bit, maybe on what's. But cool. I would say Jared and Matt definitely are tapped into the more youthful vibe and type of music that's out there, or stuff that that's cool. They definitely keep us hip as far as. Like knowing what upcoming what bands to, to talk about, like the band that's opening for us on this tour, uh, Deer Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, they're yeah. really awesome. Yeah, awesome. Like I never really knew who they were, and then I watched them play with us, and they're like five songs of theirs that I listened to on the radio and absolutely love and had no idea that it was even their music. So it's cool when they can kind of suggest a band, and we're like, oh, man, I never even heard of them. Like, and then you hear them like, oh, shit, I love that song. I love <laughs> Wait till we play with Wild Nothing. That's the next tour. Wild Nothing, I think. Do you guys, were you guys like, if you know, you mentioned Deer Hunter, is it a thing where someone in the band maybe hears something and then brings it to the group? Or is it like a, a management decision on who opens? Um, no, no we, def we definitely get the they final give us say a, so. They give us a list of names and, and they're usually really bad. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then we'll throw a list back and see what happens. I don't know. As, as like, has anyone in the band ever like really stood up for no? This band is an opening for us. I'm putting my foot down. I feel that way about one band right now. I don't even say who it is, but <laughs> pushing to get them on a tour. Yeah, really. Well, the crazy thing ahead. is seeing the bands that want to play with you. Interesting. Like your third eye blinds that want to open for you, or <laughs> so awesome, or Allison Chains, or like these off the wall like crazy things that you'd never in a million years would be like. I don't even see how those two would even fit together, <laughs> but it is, it's cool and kind of depressing at the same time to see bands that were at such a level, massive bands, like, the holy shit, these guys literally want to play a 45 minute set in these arenas well, that they used to play for three hours. Well, yeah, yeah, still, but it makes me feel, mm -hmm. makes me feel kind of guilty. It makes me very thankful mm -hmm. 
of where we're at and what we're doing, but it's also kind of uh, looking into the future of like, realize how good you've got to keep working hard. Like absolutely, you can stay at this level for as long as you put the work in and not that those bands didn't work hard. Sometimes it's just circumstances, musical taste changes, digital era takes over. Like, sure. There's so many factors yeah. into that, but well, that's an interesting thought about the future. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think rock is one of the genres that you can age gracefully in, you know, mm-hmm. how do you guys see yourself sort of aging in rock? Just what you said, working hard. Like how do you avoid the fate of a third eye blind? As you say, um, um, Third Up Blind's last album was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It's a great songwriter. Um, definitely. I think our work, I think our work ethic from such an early age as a band, I mean, we would have other bands come to us. I remember the Dotsons came up to us one night and like the lead team was like, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? I was like, sorry, bro. Shit. I didn't like what, what's up? He said, our manager, all they talk about is how hard Kings of Leon work and how many shows you guys play and how many records y'all make. He said, it's okay to take a break. You know, y'all are making us all look like totally. we don't work hard. Like, and we're like, yeah, we didn't that's do all we know. Like that's, <laughs> we, we didn't do anything before. So it's like hard. It's, it's like, well, if we stop, what are we going to do? You know? So I think, I think that working, um, just continuing to work and tour and make albums good or not, you know? is going to just kind of keep you, I don't know, hopefully keep us at that level. Yeah. And I think that that family competition mm. is what drives us the most of nobody wants to be the first guy in the band and be like, guys, you know what? It was a good run, but you know, I kind of want to, you know, I kind of want to hang up the, hang up the sparkly boots. <laughs> um, so I don't think any of us wants to be that guy. Now I, I can see us as we get older, maybe taking breaks, you know, to being okay with having three years in between records. Cause three years in between records, that's promotion, the record coming out, touring that whole entire record, going to another continent, touring that whole record, coming back, hitting secondary markets. So out of that three years, you're on the road for at least two of those. And then you pre-production and make the next one. So you might have three months to yourself in three years Right. And everyone else is like, oh, it's, on, it's, usually years. Like, it's usually like six months. Like I felt like after six months, it's kind of like, okay, what are we going to do? And I'm always like, all no, six time. more months, please. But you can always tell we're all kind of itching like, all right, I've been doing the dishes. <laughs> you got to get back up. My hands are starting to get dry. Like I want some blisters from drumming, not from, uh, not from dishwashing. <laughs> from where you started until now, obviously like your personal lives have evolved, marriage, kids. How did that change the touring? We would just stay. Now we just kind of stay in one place longer, and we'll go. If, if that makes any sense, like we'll just uh, hub hub we'll out of a city and London, let the wives and kids and stay. The wives and kids will be in London, and then we'll like do a day trip to Germany and play a show and come back home that. that oh, night, I got you. You know, and so then we have a day off, and then the day off with the kids, and then the next day we'll play somewhere like a festival and come back. So you just shoot so out from like that a spot. Hub. Like we hub out places now, hub out of places. Do you bring them like on the road though? Even like, will they be on buses and stuff? So like, where, where do you go after this? We go to New York city tonight, New York um, city. Right after um, the gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drive a jet? No, not this time. We'll bus it tonight, but then we have a jet for the rest of the tour. That's living, man. Crazy. <laughs> Can't even believe it. Yeah. The guy, I'm in a band called Arkells and we, um, this fellow Mark Needham who mixed that record. He was telling me about, um, what Fleetwood Mac does when they're on tour and they like rent out the, like four floors in Chicago at the, whatever the nicest hotel is there and just 
that's a centralized place for all their American touring. So yeah. that's so you guys cool. Are out of something. Yeah. That's cool. I know you too. Hubs out of Toronto. Yeah. Quite a bit. I love it here on their uh, U.S. tours. Yeah. Because when we toured with them, just about every night they were flying back to Toronto. You're just saying you love Toronto. Yeah, it's great. What about it specifically? Yeah, I was scared you were going to ask that. I'm really, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I think it's the people and like the food's great. I don't know. It seems like super cool. There's always like, we're always talking to cool dudes like you guys. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of lastly, I think like music fans uh, and like just kind of fans of pop culture in general, you know, they're pretty fascinated when they hear news about like Eddie Vedder giving you guys advice or maybe Taylor Swift posts about your new album. Like what relationships, celeb or not, like have you developed over the years that have shaped you the most? And you can't say your wives. Can I say Matt's wife? <laughs> um, geez. I mean, I think the biggest thing for, for me is just playing, playing shows all around the world. And you see these kids that have nothing in common other than just their love for our music and the records we make. And, uh, that's always pretty awesome to me to, to see kids out there that can't speak one word of English but we'll sing every single word of every one of your songs. And that, you know, that makes me feel good. But I think the biggest thing for me is we worked so hard early on that it's a really good feeling knowing that you can go sell out an arena in any city in the world. Almost. But, um, <laughs> but, but not just, you know, not just because we have friends that are huge in Germany and can sell arenas after arena, but can't sell 500 tickets anywhere in America, anywhere in London, any. So I think it's just realizing that the hard work paid off and that we can have a career. We can do this for, for as long as we want, you know, Knock on wood. Um, <laughs> as long as we, you know, as long as we are inspired and want to do it. People will still come out. Yeah. As a person. Yeah. Is there an individual? Yeah. Um, man, Angelo, who's our first like kind of songwriting buddy and, um, producer and I don't know, just all around musical opinion. Yeah. Uh, he was, I've always kind of just wanted to be him. When I walked to his house, there's just instruments everywhere, like get the coolest guitars, coolest amps. And I don't know, he taught me a lot about music and, um, and I'm kind of turning into him. Like I have a house full of, uh, I have a house full of instruments now. I just kind of mm -hmm. collect and see, and you know, have lots of stuff, but, uh, yeah, he, he inspired me a lot. Now he won't even talk to me. He introduced us. <laughs> why, why won't he talk to you? I don't know. I've texted him a few times lately. He didn't text me back. <laughs> I think he's a little, I think he's a little butt hurt that we didn't use him on the last record. Well, that's always an interesting thing, right? Like, is that a tough decision to be like amongst the group? Very tough. It was super hard. Uh, but we were like, there's no we, way he'll we, stop talking to us. Well, like, at, he'll at, get over it. It was funny. Like at every stage, we were just like, are we really not gonna like, not gonna call Angelo or whatever? And and I was just at any time I was just kind of like, we wish we could like, and it just, but it just kept going and it never happened. It just and kept we just, developing. We, without yeah. Him. We just, it just kept going and going. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. And it just happened. It's not like if he'll ever have us back, you know, it's not like we'll never want to hang out and jam with Angelo again. It's just, it I just think, didn't happen this time. I think that ship has sailed. I mean, we knew we wanted to do done. something different. You think that the relationship's altered forever? I think we're done. Nah. We will never speak to him again. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, no. We will. I don't know. His kids go to, they go to school with you. Yeah, we go to the, <laughs> Matt's f***ed 
he's going to have to see him. Like I just, <laughs> I just avoid that part of town. I just, I just, I go same the school, long same, way. same school, same grade. Not about, I mean, I love Angelo, but we just, we knew we wanted to do something real, like super different. And it was just kind of like one of the first things is like, oh, we have to have like maybe like a, a different sound. It's, we've got to sound different, you know? Of course. Well, it's all part of the creative growth and exploring yeah. is yeah. to try yeah. new things. Totally. We wrap this up. Well, good luck tonight, fellas. Yeah, yeah. Thank oh, you. Did you have another question, Max? Well, I just wanna, it's not even really much of a question, but my roommate and Mike's brother, Greg, is the biggest Stills fan of oh, all time. Man. I don't oh, know. I'd, beg, I'd like to And he's mad that Liam's not in the interview today. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought I was the biggest Stills fan of all time. Yeah, well, so Greg, will have a trivia contest with you. Nice. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, the dessert, where we welcome on our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Hey, uh, this, should we explain that something weird's happening right now, too? Because this is a, a few times we've done a weird setup for recording, and it always, to me, changes the mood. So I feel like we should address it. Let's address it. So uh, for anyone that listened to the first part of the episode, you know that Max is on the road. Uh, we recorded the opening while Max was in Portland, Oregon uh, yesterday, and now we're doing the dessert with Shane, uh, and Max is still on the road. Max, where are you in the world right now? I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia. Back in Canada, baby. Back back and safe. Safe and sound. And you and I are kind of tethered together in a very <laughs> <laughs> strange way. Yeah, so in order for Shane and I both to hear Max, we have to share a pair of uh, iPhone headphones. So we're very close. And whenever we look at each other, it's a little... Uh, it's very I, unnatural because I'm way too close to you to actually look you in the eye. So when I'm talking, I'm probably not going to be looking at you. It's uncomfortably intimate right yeah. now. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Max, I know you probably ignored uh, my request as you typically do, but I'm wondering if you did your homework <laughs> assignment. You had a homework assignment, Max? Yeah. What was, you, what was the homework yeah, assignment? Yeah, exactly. Me. Yeah, typical <laughs> aloof it? Max. I told you to call Frank, and I even sent you reminders. Oh, shit. I didn't, I didn't do it. I Sorry, knew you didn't I do it. it. And I wanted to save even that reveal for Mike, and now it's ruined. Wow, you were, Max was going to call Frank D'Angelo. Yes. And oh, here, sorry. Okay, I'll do it next time. Okay, Max, sorry, here's busy. what you have to do. You have that big show coming up. Invite him to come. Regardless of the outcome, it will totally win him over. Shame. He'll see what a huge star you are. Haven't you heard that the Arkells have sold out that big arena show in Hamilton? I'm sure he can pull a few strings for Frank D. Okay, I promise you I will do that. You swear on the pod you will? I swear on the pod. All right. Okay, we'll see. So everyone stay tuned. Uh, The saga of Frank D'Angelo continues with Max potentially calling him directly uh, on his cell phone. (laughs) I do have his number, so, so it will. Here's something that uh, Max and I talked about bringing up. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, feedback on the 50th episode with the nut. Yes. I feel like people love it. It's a hit. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like um, I feel like it's brought the nut and I very close together because we you know, it's like a a therapy session. Once you air all your grievances, you're you're closer. So I felt like it was uh, therapeutic in a way for both of us beyond the the fame that it's brought uh, the nut. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's mostly just the the fame when when anybody gets like tweets, you know, and, and like people are saying nice things about them. It doesn't matter. Like, Bill just in a great mood. So I don't think it has anything to do with the therapy aspect. I think it just has to do with, like, the celebrity. I think that's all it is. Well, how long, Shane, do you think that this this time of peace will last between you and the net? Till I think until the next time we have a drinking night. (laughs) Because, you know, he likes to... uh, 
he just likes to be irritating, especially when you're going out or finding little things. Like he likes commenting on appearances a lot. Like I have a, um, a tiny mole on my head that I'm a little self-conscious <laughs> about. And when people are around, he'll say, what is that? And he knows what it is. It's a little mole, but he'll like bringing attention to it. So the minute he brings up the mole again, the peace treaty is off. Yes. But I did have a way. Uh, I wanted to segue kind of into... Uh, the nut, but now it's kind of ruined my flow here. I, I typed out. <laughs> oh shit. Sorry, Shane. I, I you know what? I should have just let you drive the desserts. I was, yeah. You know what? You go ahead. You well, tell us what you want. What's going on in your life? You seen any good movies or listening to good music well, what, lately? What happened originally was, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, Mike, I like how you ask that question every week and it never gets answered. No, never but, stop asking and, that and honestly, like, um, I, I almost feel like I'm doing a shtick where I'm, I'm trying not to talk about the movies or someone thinks, like, I'm just, oh, trying to tell a crazy story about my life. I honestly, I'm obsessed with movies, and I wanted to see every Oscar movie before this episode. I wanted us to make this the Oscar episode. Okay. We can do that for next week. Okay. So my plan was to see uh, Manchester by the Sea, yeah. Moonlight, yeah. and... Uh, La La Land. La La Land. All last week. But what happened was uh, the Hawaii trip. Yes. So that I thought maybe I could uh, check out a, a movie while I was gone, maybe one of the nights before the people showed up. I didn't get to do that. And then when I came back from Hawaii, I wanted to see Manchester by the Sea, but I got involved in a bunch of uh, Facebook disputes. Because when, when I came back, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook kind of like blew up with everyone arguing over anything from Trump. And then we had uh, Bell Let's Talk Day. Yep. And everyone started uh, oddly arguing over the merits of Bell Let's Talk. We talked about it on Facebook Live. And uh, you know how once you get into the rhythm of a, a Facebook argument, it's kind of hard to take yourself out of that world? Yeah. So I never get in Facebook arguments. But all of a sudden, I got in another one <laughs> about the Oscars. A woman who we work with, yeah. she's sitting right behind us right now. She's... <laughs> She's on the other side of the wall. We're recording this in a boardroom <laughs> yeah. at 299. But she said that female editors are better than men. I don't think it's ending well, by the way. But <laughs> no, no, but just, you guys can cut all this, but just let me get my thought process. Her original post was women are better editors because women feel so much differently than men. Don't say it in that tone of voice. <laughs> she, she was like, yo, women be better editors. Definitely don't say it in that tone of voice. <laughs> she said women are better editors because women feel so differently than men. The implication being different, being better. But if that was true, like if you're the director, the goal is to have the editor fulfill your vision. I don't think you want something drastically different. Maybe you do and you, you want a different point of view. Fair enough. But I brought up a point about how that's not true and women have the same talent as, and capacity for editing as men. And I believe they have the same capacity in every field beyond physical things because obviously most of us, not myself included, but have super strengths that a lot of women don't have like physical <laughs> physical strengths i'm, yeah, I'm not so that way it. but we other men are <laughs> we get it we get it carry on yeah. so then I, I made that point and then she posted an article that said why women are better editors than men and it was like a clickbait headline which we live in you know you got to get people's attention that's what a lot of articles do but the the point of the article was that in the small pool of women who are in the industry, there's a, a abnormally high number of them who get awarded, nominated for, Oscar nominated awards, for yeah. Oscars. 
And the reason is, is because the, the industry is so biased towards men that the only way a woman can even break through in the industry is if she's exceptionally good. And it's, I, I liken it almost to Jackie Robinson making it into the, the baseball. Sure. It wasn't because he was as good as the white players. It was because he was incredible and far and above easy the best he was undeniable he regardless was undeniable of how good. he looked exactly okay you, you, so this this facebook argument led you to not see any of the movies because this has consumed you so much what is your point here shane it made me miss manchester by the sea ironically edited by a woman did you did you uh it, so you were literally like late for the movie is that, is that what you're saying way late and <laughs> just ended up then i hopped back on the bell let's talk argument which th it was funny because the nut and I actually, it's ironic too that I'm calling him the nut to, def uh, to joining in on a bell let's talk argument when the nut's probably a detrimental term for mental health. So yes. that's kind of interesting. I think he could be the nut as in zany. He doesn't have, doesn't have to mean crazy or, you know. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as zany. Really? I think that you, I think if like, oh, my uncle's kind of nutty. It doesn't mean he's crazy. It just might mean he has like a lot of knock knock jokes and, you know. Yeah, but if I was to say my uncle's kind of crazy, it would all, it could also mean that. And I wouldn't be saying it in a way to imply that he's actually insane. It's a good point. Words matter. And man. I think, but when we actually refer to the nut as the nut, I think we are saying it because he's out of his mind when he's drinking and he's very destructive. I don't think we're saying he's zany. Also a good point. But I found it ironic that he, <laughs> him and I were uh, kind of teaming up on people on Facebook to say like, Bell Let's Talk is actually a good thing. You guys are like a couple Dobermans. Whenever somebody would say something detrimental or potentially negative about Bell, the Bell Let's Talk movement, you and the nut would jump on and just hit them with reasons why they're wrong. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> and then we were texting each other like good one or whatever. If we made a good, <laughs> but, but it does get very exhausting and uh, like, it takes me a while to, to write a message. So at the end of it, I just started telling people to and saying like, <laughs> you, Molly, <laughs> who was actually one of the guests on the Mike on Much podcast. Our true crime uh, episode, Molly Hayes, uh, reporter, you did indeed tell her to F off. And I think it, I, I think it ended up getting four likes, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what, what to do. Like, it makes me really want to not have social media because I'm not getting anything good about it. I'm not learning anything. All you get are a bunch of contrarians being contrarians because that's how they stand out. They get this huge dialogue on their wall, which makes them feel important. Like everyone's discussing and they do it for likes or any type of reaction just to stand out. So I'm, it's even like a, it's a bold proclamation. I'm thinking of getting rid of Facebook. Who cares? But I'm honestly thinking of just staying away from Instagram, Facebook, everything. Cause it's, it's so like you're not learning anything from it. Yeah. And the second you think you're learning about uh, Trump or how bad it is, then it's like, don't be fooled. Don't get angry about the Trump thing. It's actually a deke out. And it's like, oh, OK. And it's like, <laughs> deke out. He's deking us out. And then it's like the deke out's a, a, a conspiracy. And I'm like, oh, the, de the deke out. It's not a deke out, guys. And then I don't even know what the. I'm saying anymore. There's so many conflicting reports. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's incredibly draining. And. As you've seen, a huge waste of time. Like, I'm wasting my life on the internet instead of seeing movies and doing things that I previously enjoy. And then I, I end up with nights I can actually spend with my uh, wife that I do it free. I'm wasting it online getting in spats over how, like, women don't rule as much as some women think. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck.
That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, YouTube, Much.com. You can follow us at Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. All the doodles for the Mike on Much podcast are done by Jenna Gregory. You can find her at jennasdoodles.com. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.